0: This is a Sunday message from New Community Church in London. To discover more about New Community, visit newcom.church. I'm going to sing a line or the opening, perhaps, of a famous song, and you guys are going to finish the rest of it. All right? Are you ready? Come on, you've got to actually be ready. I hope you know these. You should do. They're like the most famous songs ever in the world. Alright, you ready? <laughs> nah, nah, nah. <laughs> nah, nah, nah. Nah na nah na 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 Hey dude. There's like five people. Like, what the heck is that? That's, it's from a movie that was out earlier this year. No, it's not. That's from the Beatles, right? <laughs> uh, okay. This this is this has been the soundtrack to our last few summers, my kids. I can't really sing this one, but we're going to go for it. Hands, touching hands, reaching out, touching me, touching you. Na, na, na. Oh, oh. (laughs) Never, yes, we're getting there. We are the champions. Oh, you guys are awesome. It's coming real soon, so let's get warmed up. It's beginning to. What? Oh, too soon? Okay, all right, we won't do that one. <laughs> all right, let's just go back with Christian songs. Let's stay on safe territory. My Jesus. My Savior. <laughs> <My Jesus. laughs> oh, dear me. Miracle worker. <laughs> I sang that wrong, didn't I? <laughs> Light in the darkness. <laughs> Uh, we could do this all day. Right, no, there is a point to this. We, I think, sort of. We're starting a new series today in Psalms. We will be, if you're like, please open the Bible, Psalm chapter one in just a moment. Um, we're actually, this, as Fran or TT said in the uh, in the One Church News, we're starting a new series, Psalms. And if you go to newcom.church forward slash Psalms uh, over the next, well, you can go today or tomorrow, wait until i finish speaking. Um, there's a whole load of resources there which are gonna help us kind of go on this journey of exploring the Psalms together, some recommended books and devotional stuff and and songs and all sorts of different bits and pieces. So you can go and check out that and we'll put some other bits and pieces there as we go. But we've given this series the title Psalms, Songs That Shape Us. And songs because, well, the Psalms, that's exactly what they are. They are Songs. Psalms are poems the, or songs. The, the Hebrew word tehillim means just songs of praise. And they are songs and poems that are very, very real. There is, they're absolutely songs that have no pretense in them whatsoever. There's a real earthiness, a reality to the Psalms that reflects the reality of life. Life is wonderful sometimes and at other times it absolutely sucks. There are highs and there are lows and there's everything in between and all of it is found in the Psalms. Every emotion that you can think of or will ever experience is found in the Psalms and there is absolutely no sense in the Psalms whatsoever of of, your life is crumbling, everything's a bit mad, it's all going, falling apart and then you do that Sunday thing where you rock up and say, how are you? Everything's great, thank you, really well. There is none of that in the Psalms. It's all exactly as it is real, nitty-gritty, this is life, it's in your face. But because Psalms are songs and, and, and poems, it kind of does present a bit of a challenge. Poetry, for for most of us in this room perhaps, not everyone, but for most of us is something we kind of left behind at school. And don't really, I'm kind of a bit of poem, poetry's all right, but we don't really, doesn't form much of our everyday life. And so that presents a bit of a challenge reading the Psalms. I don't know if you've ever had this experience. You see it often in uh, people bringing contributions on a Sunday in worship. They're reading a part of a Psalm and it's all wonderful and it's all good and it's all like kind of a, a oh God, you're wonderful, praise God. for me. Oh. And then all of a sudden there's something like really angry or aggressive or really violent or really just miserable. And you're like, oh, I can't read that. And, the contrib- and you see the person panic and then skip over and go, the end says, praise the Lord. And more can sit down. And you kind of, have that, that's, that's the challenge of poetry. How do we handle that? We're going to explore that a bit over these next few weeks. There's also people often have a bit of a pick and mix approach to Psalms, like dip in and out, like happy ones and happy verses for when I'm feeling happy and sad ones for when I'm feeling sad and kind of treat it a little bit like pick and mix, leave the ones we don't like and just pick the sherbets or whatever. You know, that kind of, this is the stuff I like. But truthfully, there's an order to the Psalms and it's structured in five different books and it's done deliberately and it's not the best way just to dip in and out and pick happy verse and don't like that verse and that kind of stuff. And the fact, here's the thing, the Psalms are songs. The fact that the, the book in the Bible with the most chapters, which Psalms is, not the most words, that belongs to Jeremiah, but most chapters, the fact that it's a book of songs, maybe, just maybe, there's a slight subtle hint there. I don't know whether you like singing, I don't know whether you're like one of those persons who, people who, oh man, hurry up and end this bit so we can just get into the word bit. All right, but I just, I read a quote from Martin Luther, who's been dead a while, but he said this about singing and um, I, I appreciate it. So I want to share it with you. A person who does not regard music and singing as a marvellous creation of God must be a clodhopper indeed and does not deserve to be called a human being. He should be permitted to hear nothing but the braying of asses and the grunting of hogs. If you don't like singing, you're a clodhopper and you don't deserve to be called a human being. (laughs) Well, honestly, it's not true, right? We might not want to imitate luther's attitude but we do want to imitate his absolute passion for singing because singing is is more than something that we just do in church the 40, 35 minutes depending which worship leader it is or whoever's anchoring the meeting that we just kind of have because it's just what we do no 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 something powerful about singing because you and i were created to image and reflect god and god himself is really passionate about singing From Genesis through to Revelation, we have songs. God Himself sings that beautiful verse in Zephaniah 3.17 where God exalts over His people with loud singing. We sing unto Him, He is singing over us. It's remarkable. If you're a believer here, you are part of the company of believers of all time. We are a worshiping people. We were created to worship. We will worship for all eternity. Worship is a big part of our story, both biblically and in this church here at New Community. And of course, worship is more than just singing, but it's nevertheless. So we sing songs, but songs that shape us. See, it's not just about singing, but it's what we sing that matters. You see, singing helps us to remember God's words. How many of you, this little quiz, how many of you can remember or even name any of John Wesley's sermons? Not many. <laughs> Yet, yeah, finish this. Hark the herald angels sing. Don't pretend like you don't know it. I know, <laughs> I know we're in September, but still. That was written by John Wesley's brother, Charles, right? He wrote around 6,500 hymns to help people remember what he and his brother taught. Don't remember anything they said, remember the songs. That's why it's important that we sing and it's more important that we sing good songs. Songs that are full of truth. I'm so grateful Amy chose some really great songs that we sang this morning or else this bit would be awkward. But we need to be singing stuff that is full of truth, not just songs about my feelings, because my feelings go up and down, but truth which shapes my feelings. Colossians 3.16 says, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So more than anything else, it's the Word of Christ that needs to dwell in us richly. So what I sing... I remember, right? It gets into me. It stays with me. I can still remember songs we sang in primary school because it's in me. It's there. I mean, my primary school I went to was really, really strange and very weird. And we sang Baby Bird, You're Gorgeous, which if you know that word, is very, very inappropriate for primary school children to be singing. And I won't sing it to you, but I remember all the words because we used to sing it because we had some very strange teachers where I grew up. But here's the thing because it gets in me and it shapes me, I need to be singing truth because truth shapes my feelings, not the other way around. My feelings do not change and shape truth. Truth shapes my feelings. So if I'm having a wobble, if I'm feeling kind of the absolute weight of my sin and my brokenness, I don't need to be singing about my feeling. Oh, woe is me, I'm terrible, I'm a miserable sinner. No, 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 I need to be singing. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. I don't need to be singing about my feelings when I feel, insert whatever word your conscience allows. I need to be singing truth. What songs do you sing? What do you listen to? What's getting into you? Don't hear what I'm not saying. There's absolutely nothing wrong with secular music. All of the good stuff of secular music all reflects the glory of God anyway. Whether people realise it or not, music is his creation. He created it. It's all for his glory. But the point I'm trying to make is the words that we sing, the words that we get in us actually do matter. That's why the Psalms are here. What we sing gets in and shapes us and changes us. And there's a huge range of Psalms, right? There's lots of joy, lots of praise, lots of thanksgiving. There's also some pretty bleak ones too. Why are they there? Well, two reasons. One, they give voice to those in hard times. And secondly, they actually, even if you're not going through a hard time, they prepare you for going through a hard time. See, no matter what season of life you're in, no matter how you start this term, no matter if you're full of joy or you're at the absolute opposite end of the scale, Psalm 88, darkness is my closest friend. Doesn't get much bleaker than that. No matter where you are on that, the Psalms give us words to articulate, words to express how we feel. You see, what's amazing about Psalms is most of the Bible is speaking to us. God speaking to us. But the Psalms give us words in the Psalms that we can speak back to Him knowing it's okay to say them. A friend of mine describes the Psalms as basically being the book of how to swear without swearing. (laughs) Just repeat it back to God, it's all there. He says, this is authorised words you can use to speak back to me no matter what season you're in, no matter what you are going through. And this is really important, particularly when we feel things that we're not sure that we should so how do I handle that? When, or when we feel things that we're like, can I really express that to God? Am I allowed to say that? What I really feel? Am I allowed to really say that in church, in my community, in whatever it is? Psalms give us words we can speak back to the Lord. But Psalms also prepare us for those difficult times. And listen, this is, this is sad, but it's true. So many Christians are so ill-prepared for difficult moments in life. Seen it, this is the 16th year now I've started a new term in ministry stuff. And over that period of time, seen it sadly so many times. Everything's good in life. Everything is, God is good. Circumstances are good. Relationships are good. Job is good. Money is good. Whatever it might be, all good. And then something bad happens. Like life hits. Pain comes, like sickness or sorrow or suffering or death or hardship or loss, whatever it is, and it's like, bang, that's it. God's not good. Faith begins to crumble. Things spiral out of control, back right off, this is all terrible. What's going on? How could this be? Why is this happening? And things just kind of spiral out, spin out, crash and burn. Or it's not necessarily quite as bad as that, but crisis hits and it's, it's like such a surprise. It's like just absolutely blindsided the person that anything bad might ever happen. And the reality is, sadly for lots of people, is that their expectations of what life should be, especially life as a Christian, their expectations are entirely false. And so they don't know what to do and what to say, how to handle and how to process things that don't work well for them. But here's the thing for us. What if, and the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago, right? But the second best time is right now. So even if you haven't spent the last 20 years preparing, the best time is right now, in this moment, from this moment on. What if we develop the practice of allowing the word, and particularly as we're focusing on it, the Psalms, to shape and form us before the hits? It's not like it, somehow magically suddenly reduces the pain and the suffering and the hardship. But it's not so unexpected. And so it's kind of like we're internally prepared and we have a language that gives voice to what we're feeling to help process, to help transform us. That's why I need to sing truth, because it it changes me, it reminds me, it causes me again to gain perspective, to lift my eyes off of myself and my circumstances and onto the one who is and was and is to come, who is from everlasting to everlasting, who does not change, within whom there is no shadow or variation. changes me, shapes me. It reorders, if you like, my disorder when I'm going through through something bad, it's like, yes, this is painful. And yes, this is unbelievably hard. And yes, this is how I feel. And oh, wow, look, it's okay to feel like that because I've got these words here that give me a sense of, yes, I can identify with that. I identify with the Psalmist and and his words kind of, in, and his experiences, if you like, legitimise mine. But then I also, just as the psalmists do, I, I join in and I remind my soul that this No matter what's happening, this is truth. That this is the rock upon which I stand, that God is good no matter what. It's like learning to sing that song, isn't it? Every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to praise. Yes, Lord, thank you. Every blessing, I'm turning it all back to praise. Absolutely awesome. You are good. When the darkness closes in, Lord, still I will say, still, When the darkness closes, still I will say, Blessed be the name of the Lord, blessed be your name, blessed be the name of the Lord, blessed be your glorious name. When I'm going through it, I go from lament, this is what I'm experiencing, and it turns to praise. Sometimes at the same time, right? Weeping and rejoicing, sometimes at the same time, in the same breath, it's a weird thing to look at somebody doing both those things, but it is entirely possible. That's authentic biblical faith. No mucking, no pretending, no, oh, oh, isn't it wonderful? No, it's not, it's absolutely, yeah, I'm rejoicing all through too at the same time. But also... When I sing songs like, blessed be the name of the Lord, that's Psalm 113, right? That's, that's where it is, bit of Job as well, but that's Psalm 113. Blessed be the name of the Lord. When I sing that, or when I read or sing Psalms, they also prepare me because I have no false expectations. No false expectations that life is always gonna be good and everything's gonna go my way. You give and take away. You give and take away. My heart will choose to say, Lord blessed be your name. You give thank you. And you take away, it sucks. But blessed be your name. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be a clodhopper. So I want to sing, when I'm winning and when it feels like I'm not. Because it's not actually accurate as a believer to say, when I'm winning and when I'm losing. It just feels like you're not. But with an eternal perspective, you mm-hmm. have one. Because your life is hidden in Christ and so we sing and you know that thing this I used to kind of join in with this I'll be honest and then I kind of grew up a bit you know you meet a Christian who's always cheery always happy and you just want to slap him. <laughs> and you're like what's wrong with you like this isn't life right like no seriously what is wrong with you just at least once please cry I'm tempted to slap you just so you do And then I grew up a bit. And I kind of, hang on a minute. Assuming, of course, it's not just all put on. But that Christian who genuinely is joyful and genuinely is cheery and genuinely is happy, actually, that's not a fair thing. Because you know what? They're probably more mature than me. Maybe actually, not everything is great in their life all the time. Because it's not going to be, is it? Because that's not real life. Maybe it's just they've grasped something of who and what God really is. That real joy is not found in circumstances, but is found in him. Maybe that's a lesson for some of us. And the lesson from the Psalms definitely is despite the pain of life, true joy really is possible. So let's look at Psalm 1, because along with Psalm 2, which, looking forward to that, I'll be back again next week, we're going to look at Psalm 2. It's going to be a long series. <laughs> <laughs> now we'll just do a few from book one and then we'll do book two another time. But Psalm one and Psalm two are the gateway, if you like, for the Psalms. Psalm one, blessed is the man or woman. It's a representation of a godly person. But are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Why did God give us the Psalms? Now, this is book one. If you've got your Bible open, he'll tell you Psalm one, book one. This Why are they split into five books? Well, the answer is actually pretty clear from Psalm 1. Look at that first line, blessed is the man, the person who delights in the law of the Lord. Now that word law is actually the word Torah, which literally means instruction. So the Torah is the first five books of the Bible. And that word later became to represent and refer to the whole of the Word of God as an entirety. But here is the first five books of the Bible, the Torah. So blessed is the person who delights in the Torah or the instruction of the Lord. So Psalms, yeah, they're a songbook, but they're also an instruction manual. And you might ask an instruction manual for what? The first word of Psalm 1 gives us the answer. That word, Ashrei, it's translated here as blessed. Now that isn't actually, that Hebrew word isn't actually a word that we have in English. We use blessed in, in, in other ways. And that word blessed actually is probably closest, best translated as happy. So happy is the person who delights in the instruction of the Lord. So the Psalms then are an instruction manual in Happiness. Which is exceedingly good news, right? For all of us who want to be happy. I mean, none of us when we were little, what do you want to do when you grow up, said be miserable. Like that's just, it's just not what we did. We all look for it in different places perhaps and have different, but we all want to be happy. And one of the reasons that happiness is actually kind of a big sort of high priority in humans is that God created us to be happy, <laughs> Like he really did. I'm not talking about happiness in a kind of cheery, smiley, sort of everything's okay kind of way, but in a joy-filled, much deeper, much more, much more fulfilling sort of way. This word ashra here conveys the idea of a good life, a, an abundant life. It's the whole John 10, 10 thing. Jesus said, I have come that may have life and have it to the full. Why is it life and to the full? It's because it's a life fundamentally about knowing God now and to the full for all eternity. And the point is this, it's only in knowing God in this life now that you will know fullness of joy or even have the possibility of. It's only there in knowing God you will know happiness. And it's certainly only true for all eternity in knowing God. Otherwise, there is nothing but eternal misery. See, in the presence of God, there is fullness of joy. Only knowing God will bring the happiness we crave. Everything else is temporary. Like you can look for it, it will be for a little bit, but it's going to fade, it's going to perish, it's going to be destroyed, it's going to grow up and leave home. It's going to, whatever it might be. Honestly, it will all crumble. And most, a lot of us in the room have worked that out over a number of years because that's what life does to you. But here's the thing, we don't drift into this sort of happiness, knowing God, full, abundant life. Like truthfully, rarely, it's like just kind of a a life lesson written in creation that rarely do you drift into anything good. You don't drift into fitness. You don't drift into success. You don't drift into whatever. I thought, just do absolutely nothing. That just doesn't work like that. And the psalmist here says in Psalm 1, right at the gateway for everything else, remember this is setting up the whole of the book of Psalms, says there is righteousness and then there's everything else. And he describes it as wickedness. There's righteousness and everything else. But the contrast here that the psalmist is making is not wickedness versus righteousness. It's actually about being influenced from one place versus being influenced from another place. The contrast is about how we are shaped. What influences us? What shapes our thinking? What shapes how we feel about how we act, what we do? Where we invest our time and our energy and, our, and everything else and our thought life and the whole work. Where are you being influenced from? Is it from righteousness or is it from everything else which is wickedness? And make no mistake, if you've heard me preach before, you've heard me say this so many times, we are influenced all the time. Like I said it in One Church News, there are only two influences in your life. There's the Word of God and there's a world in which we live. And if you are not being actively shaped by the Word, you will be shaped by everything else. It's not neutral, it's not passive, it's not just kind of, well, take it or leave. No, it's actively bombarding us all the time with messages that are contrary to the Gospel. So if you're not being shaped from the Word, you will be from the world. And picture three, verse 3 here is a picture of the Christian life. There are streams of living water. You are planted there. The minute you put your trust in Jesus, you are planted in these streams of living water. You didn't do it. You didn't plant yourself. God planted you there, took you out of darkness, brought you into life, planted you into streams of living water. And now it's like a picture of a tree, literally. You have these roots now and you kind of have this system of feeding them, but it's not automatic. It's not mechanical. It's not planted and now it just does it automatically. You have to cultivate the feeding of your roots. You have to cultivate how you are. You have to actively be shaped and influenced in things that are either, well, of righteousness. And if they're not of righteousness, they're gonna be of wickedness. You have to cultivate your roots. And you cultivate them, look, verse two, by delighting, meditating, giving attention to the word of God, being influenced by it. You have to get it in you in order to be influenced by it. You're not going to be influenced by looking at it or thinking about it or planning to read it. You're not going to be influenced by downloading an app that will help you do it. You're not going to be influenced by going to newcom.church forward slash Psalms and just looking and thinking, that's a pretty picture. Or I've got, that's a great plan. There's a Bible reading plan there, which is amazing. One day, oh, that's going to really shape me. It's going to precisely do nothing. I mean, unless you get it, And you drive it deep into you. That's kind of, it's not doing anything, is it? It's not doing anything. Got to get it in us. I mean, like what? I shake this, what comes out? Whatever's in it. I mean, if it's water, water comes out. There we go. Oh, sorry. That's the What? What? When you get shaken, what's in comes out. When you get squeezed, what's in comes out. If it's not in you, it ain't coming out. It's not coming out. The Holy Spirit can help me. Yes, He can, but if it's not in you, what's He going to help you with coming out? How are you even going to know His truth? And I read it on Facebook. Don't get me started. But the thing is, the thing with influence, right, and this is so very important, is that it, the way it works is so very gradual it's over time when we fill ourselves with the word of god we don't just read it once and go influence me changed me that's it done now over time we allow it to change us and shape us and and eventually we bear fruit in our lives being influenced is an active ongoing decision fill yourself up with the things of god it's not a one-off decision that's how the word of God influences us. But you know what? It's exactly how the world influences us as well. The drift away from God is so often gradual. Look at verse one. Walking becomes standing, becomes sitting. And sometimes it's so gradual. It's not like you jumped from red hot, passionate follower of Jesus, absolutely loved the church, sold out, doing to hating, cynical, disbelieving. It's not like that's a like, bang, bang, off we go. But bit by bit, disappointment by disappointment, frustration by frustration, situation by situation, person by person, the slide begins. And sometimes it's good just to have a little bit of a kind of test. Like look back over your life. Where was I? Where am I now? Why? It's easy to blame others, right? because truthfully it might be their fault (laughs) or at least they played a part in it or they didn't help but only you can actually do something about it where's your influence? is it time as we begin this new term to realign your life with the word fill yourself up with good reignite, fan into flame all that stuff I was once there and now I'm here in one sense it might be healthy to work out why but actually more than anything it's time to realign and get good again because it's what's in you that will come out. The fruit your life produces is a result of what's in you. Pear trees ain't producing apples. Just don't work. They, you've, what you produce is what's in. If you want to produce of health and good and righteousness, you've got to fill yourself with health and good and righteousness. And it's really important that we understand that we don't naturally drift towards righteousness. Like left to our own devices, we always naturally drift the other way. And, and and that's really important because the first four verses of Psalm one are all in the present tense, all about now. But there's a shift in verse five. It moves to the future. The psalmist moves from temporal things to eternal things, and we're confronted with a choice. What we delight in now, we will inherit for all of eternity. And it's why what we worship, what we give ourselves to, is so important. And let's not have any pretense about this. We're all worshiping all of the time. We worship that which captures our hearts. Our lips are very much secondary in the process. It doesn't really matter what you say in one sentence. It's what is captivating in your heart. And verse five has this therefore, which is really quite crucial because there's a reality to life that the psalmist understands. In this life, the, the wicked often look like they're winning. The righteous often look like they're not winning. It often looks like the wicked are the ones who are having success. Verse four doesn't seem to be our experience very often. But the promise of verse three is that the righteous will prosper and verse four, the wicked will perish. But often it feels like it's the other way around or at the very least it can feel like we are not prospering as we should. But we know that doesn't mean life is going to be a bed of roses for us. As we know from just experience in life, Christians are not immune to the problems and the pain of this life. And if you're not going to be influenced by what God says, When pain and trial comes, as it surely will, you're gonna be left at a loss. And you're gonna start judging God's love for you by your circumstances, rather than your circumstances by God's love. And there is a massive difference because truth doesn't change. If it's true when things are seemingly good in your life, then it's every bit as true when they're not. And the truth of these verses is that there is a therefore. The wicked cannot withstand the judgment of God. From God's perspective, the wicked have no future. But verse six is such a good news for those who love and know God. He knows you and you are blessed. You might look at your life right now and think, I just don't feel it. But we need to look with eyes of faith and we need to look not with the temporal, earthbound perspective, but with the heavenly, eternal ones. Because of Jesus, you are blessed, you are secure, you are accepted, you are loved. And that is ultimately what it is to be blessed and to be happy. Psalm 1, just finish with this briefly. Psalm 1 declares a blessing and it warns of a judgment. And the reality is, is the blessing is only on the one that it describes here in verses one to three. It is only on the one who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. It's only on the one who does not stand in the way of sinners. It's only on the one who does not sit in the seat of scoffers. It's only on the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord. It's only on the one who in his law, on his law, he meditates day and night. That is the only person that the blessing of God is coming to, the one who does all of those things. That's the reality. That's what it says here. The covenant God watches over the one who loves him and the one who delights in God's law in all his heart. Which is a bit of a challenge to us, right? Because how many of us with absolute integrity can say that describes me entirely? I meditate day and night. I'm the only one. I truly delight. I never never scoff. I never anything. I never have a cynical. That's you and me out, right? Completely out. It's never coming our way. And yet. There is only one who fits this description and can say it with absolute integrity. Jesus is uniquely and supremely the man of Psalm 1. He's the only one who can say with absolute integrity that he delights in the word of God. He's the only one who can say with absolute integrity day and night, night and day. He meditates upon the word of God. Therefore, he's the only one who can command the blessing of God. And your life and my life, if you're a believer here today, is hidden in Christ. And so when we say we share the blessing of Psalm one, what we are declaring is that the blessings rest on Him and on Him alone, and we are found in Him. And so we don't read Psalm one and say, oh man, I start this term, I must be better, because it's gonna last for about three days, maybe a week if you're brilliant. And then we'll get to Psalm two next week and go, like, oh flip, that's scary. I'm not done so well. But it's not about our performance and what we have done or not done or should do or shouldn't do. It's about His perfect righteous one. And so now when we read the Psalms, when we read Psalm 1 and the rest of them, we sing them because Jesus has sung them first. He's the only one who truly can. And we get to join in because of Him. So we sing, we say, we declare, we pray Psalm 1 and we say, blessed is Jesus as our righteous one. And we give ourselves afresh to living as men and women in whom the Spirit of the righteous man dwells, confident that the blessings are coming our way too. Even if we experience, even when we experience the pain and the hardship and the difficulty and the change of this life, we know because He in our place went to the place where we will never truly go. He was separated from God the Father, knew eternal, that moment of just absolute distance. We will never experience that because He went to that place in our place on the cross. He knew the, the true darkness of the absence of God. So no matter how dark it might get in this, we never will because he has gone for us. And so now we have life and life abundantly forever. Oh, the wonder we have for our king here. Majesty of our king described here, the gratitude we have now for every spiritual blessing, every, everything that he's done, oh, and then flowing out of that absolute delight in who God is and what He has done is a desire, a spirit given desire to walk in His righteous way and not the way of the wicked. Let's lay this as a foundation again and again this term. Holy Spirit, we just thank you for your presence with us. Oh, Lord, you're so good, so kind. No matter how we start this term, you are good. You give and take away, yes, but you are good. Every blessing you pour out, we turn back to praise. Even in dark nights, we turn it back to praise. Oh Lord, we wanna be those who do not stand, walk and stand and sit with the wicked. We wanna be those who walk in the goodness of all that you have done for us and the life you've won for us, the righteousness of Christ that is credited to us. This term, may that be our foundation, our song, our starting point, our end point for from you and to you and through you all things. Oh God, you are so good. We thank you. This time we want to set our eyes upon you.